God, our prayer is that what we remember of this morning and what we remember of camp would be Jesus. Just that we have met the living Jesus. The Jesus that's here in this room right now, coming down every aisle, snaking down every row of pews, and putting your hand on the shoulder of every single person who's here, no matter what they're struggling with, dealing with, feel pain about, feel numbness about, and you're saying, I'm here for you, always. Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I got to tell you, it has been such a privilege and pleasure for me to just be uh, worshiping with our, our regular church worship team. But in this environment, it just felt like like the early church, you know, in the, in the second chapter of Acts, where it says that they, they lived together, and they ate together, and they studied the apostles' teachings together, and they worshiped together. And that's why I think spiritual growth just gets turbocharged in a camp atmosphere, because for a week, we are basically doing the second chapter of Acts together. We are living like people lived back in those days, and I think that's why we're, we're feeling a little bit of what people felt in those days. Hey, I have so enjoyed, enjoyed isn't even the word for it, relished, been blessed by Steve Carter's ministry in the evenings. Can you just join me in thanking Steve for doing a wonderful job? It's just been so rich, so beautiful. And uh, I'm going to blame Steve for what's going to happen next. Take your message notes that look like this, the ones that say counterculture kindness on top. Hold them up. And uh, what I want you to do is do this. Just crumple them up and put them in the recycling bin at some point in your day because we're throwing those out this morning. Because last night when Steve had us all stand and shout, Rock Shazat, shout that with me. Rock Shazat, that in Hebrew was the word for, you know, don't fear, don't be dismayed, go across the border of the promised land, go into the land God has for you, across the Jordan. And he, and he was saying, is God speaking to you right now, urging you maybe somehow to, to do something, and you're being a little bit tentative, you're being a little bit timid. And as I stood and said that, I knew exactly what it was for me because I, 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 I had the inclination that God was telling me, somehow leading me to actually not do the talk that I had planned for this morning, the talk you just tore up. It's like God was saying, people need to hear something else and specifically, they need to hear your story of how you came back to Christ. And I started arguing with you. Ever argue with God? And I was like, but God, people, a lot of people at Mount Hermon have already heard that story. I don't want to tell that story again. But God, people have heard some of the stories I used to tell that story. I don't want to tell those stories again. But God, it's too hard to tell that story. Because I don't know if people, it's, it makes me so vulnerable. And I don't, people, I don't know if people are going to get it. And God was like, go forward. Go forward. Rock Shazat. And I still hadn't decided whether or not to do that until this morning. And I got here at about 8.30, and I started redoing the slides, and I'm like, that's it. We're not going to go the direction we were going to go this morning. We're going to go a completely different direction, because I think that God knows 
that there are some people here who need to hear this. Mm. Now, I did want to cover just a couple of things that I was going to say in my kindness message as a follow-up to the do not judge message yesterday. Uh, and that is this, and several of you came up to me because it caused some tension in you. Like, how can I go into the world and, and elevate the discussion when the world's just hitting so low? How can I not be more aggressive as a Christian? How can I be kind and unjudgmental? That raises a lot of good questions. I would really recommend this phenomenal book by Barry Corey called Loving Kindness. Uh, Barry is the president of Biola University. It's a phenomenal book where he covers a lot of the questions that I'm sure yesterday's message uh, raised in you. But I just wanna say one thing, uh, one, one paragraph that he says. He says, kindness is not the same as niceness. When Jesus calls us to be non-judgmental and kind, that's not the same as being nice. Kindness is all over the Bible. Niceness isn't in the Bible one time. Niceness requires no sacrifice. Kindness absolutely does. And he says, basically, there are three ways that God can call us, or the three ways that we're being challenged to live our lives. One is niceness. Niceness has a soft center and soft edges. It's just kind of mushy. Everything goes. It won't stand for anything, so it falls for everything, right? The second option is aggression, which has a hard center and hard edges. It's just combative all the time. And in today's polarized culture, you and I are being pulled to one of these two extremes or the other. Either just give up and be nice with no conviction or be super aggressive and hard because people are standing against our values. But Jesus lived a third way, not the harshness of hard centers and hard edges or the mushiness of spongy centers and soft edges. Jesus showed us the way of kindness, firm center, soft edges where your core convictions are rock solid, they will not change. In fact, you'll die for them, but as you spread that word, you radiate God's love. Think of Jesus as our example. Was he wildly welcoming in ways that all the religious people found extremely uncomfortable and awkward? Yes. He was epically kind, kind to sinners, kind to the sick, kind to children, kind to lepers, kind to prostitutes, kind to the tax collectors, even when dying on the cross. He was kind to those who were persecuting, kind to his mother, making sure she was cared for, kind to those who were tying with him. This is what drew crowds to him. He spoke, the crowd said, with authority like they'd never seen before, rock solid core. But he was wildly, kind of epically welcome to everybody. And he just said, you, follow me. Well, you can, you'll figure it out along the way as you continue following me. And that's what God calls us to do too. Does that make sense? All right, now today what I wanna do is this, and, and I've been scrambling with, uh, with Dave Burns and Mike Romberger to, try, to, to help put this together. Today we're gonna have a special prayer time scheduled for after the message. There's gonna be prayer team members up front. Dave will be up here, Jeremy will be up here, Jane Romberger will be up here and others. And the altar is going to be open after this message. During the last song, you can come forward and kneel and pray. If you came to Mount Hermon with a prayer need or there's some spiritual commitment you need to make, this morning is your opportunity. Because as I wrap up my week here, I'm gonna take that break from the series that we've been in, Counterculture Christ. And instead, I want to tell you how I came back to Christ as a pastor.
I have no outline this morning, just scripture. And I want to start by telling you a little story. I think I've told uh, some of you this story before, but one day at our church down in Santa Cruz, we decided to replace the old pews. And this is a ton of old pews. Our auditorium seats nearly 1,500 people, so there were a ton of them. But they were literally falling apart. And so we posted them online, church pews free to a good home. Like, will somebody be interested in these? Almost instantly, we get a phone call on this. This Russian church from Sacramento calls us up. I had no idea Sacramento was such a haven for immigration from Eastern Europe and from the former Soviet Union, but it, but it really is. And there's a Russian evangelical megachurch there. And they had been praying for some economical way to get seating for this big new building that they'd, they'd gotten that had no seats whatsoever in it. So they call up and we answer the phone, hello. And they, on the other end, we're hearing this, duh, we are wanting pews, you've put on Craigslist. We are wanting, we are coming to pick up pews now. <clears throat> and so they show up, and it was so fascinating, because first of all, they are right out of some Hollywood movie about Russians. Total central casting stereotype Russians. Big, burly forearms, massive necks, hairy, and those were the women. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. All guys. Big Russian bears. And I kept hanging around with these guys because I just wanted to hear them talk because I love, don't you love the Russian accent? I just love it. And so I'm like just listening to them talk, hanging around, just asking them questions just so I could hear them say things. And I started writing, this is true, I started writing little phrases on pieces of paper, asking them, can you just re say this? Can you just read this line for me? We must get that moose, Natasha. What is this? <laughs> so, they're, so they're working on the pews, and when I realize it's going to take them more than one day, they say, you, get, you guys are going to have to stay here overnight. Do you have a hotel to stay at? They say, we have no hotel. Would you want to stay at our place? No. Why you ask so many questions? You are maybe KGB? No, I'm not. <laughs> I just... I just want to know if you, need, if you need a place to stay for the night. No, we need no place to stay for the night. When we are getting tired, we are sleeping in church. And I thought, I see that every weekend. But out loud, I said, well, can I, can I get you some sleeping bags? And they said, no, when we are getting tired, we are moving pews together in shape of, how you say, Casket? And he asks his little henchman, Casket? Da, da, casket. Da, we are slipping. We will be slipping in casket made of pews. And I said, okay, can I at least bring you some blankets because it's going to get really cold tonight. Cold is being no problem. When we are getting cold, we are getting up and working to stay warm. Da, stay warm by working. And then they started dancing. Work, work on the Volga. No, they didn't do that, but all the rest is true. And as I started walking away, I thought, suddenly, what a metaphor for what the Christian life can become for so many of us. The pews where we once found life basically turn into caskets. Church starts to feel so dead. And when you find yourself growing cold inside, the only cure you know is to get up and work harder. And I know it can happen because I felt that way. 
You know, the other day I read this amazing story about how scientists in Russia, staying with the Russian theme here, discovered a pile of seeds hidden in the permafrost in Siberia. The seeds were 30,000 years old, they estimate, from the days of the woolly mammoth. But they were able to revive these frozen seeds and bring them back to life, and actually they grew long-lost species of flowers that, have, that had grown extinct from these frozen seeds. And incidentally, in the same spot, they found three frozen woolly squirrels that they were not able to bring back to life, but <laughs> this is why all those seeds were gathered together in one place. These little guys were hiding their food. Well, maybe you feel like years ago, there was some little seed of the gospel planted in you, and you remember when it was alive. But it's been frozen in permafrost for it feels like 30,000 years now. Well, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can cause that dormant seed to come into flower again. And I know he can, because that is exactly my story. This is just my testimony today. Like a lot of you, judging by the hands that went up yesterday when JR asked you, you I became a Christian when I, was, when I was just a little kid. And I remember just loving Jesus like wildly with abandon, like little kids do everything with abandon, right? But slowly, I grew cold. The pews turned into caskets. The seed got dormant. And how I started on this, I'm not sure. But I remember at some point thinking, probably in high school, if I, being finite, am this dissatisfied and disgusted with myself, then God, who is infinite, must be infinitely more dissatisfied and disgusted with me. So I felt like I always needed to do more, serve more, pray more, be better, work harder to earn the favor of God somehow. But the more I did, the, the, the less I sensed the presence of God and the favor of God. So then finally I said, why am I not feeling the Lord's presence like I used to? I must not be doing enough. So I kept trying harder to please God so I could feel something inside of me. And instead my joy kept leaking away. And finally I thought, I know I will become a pastor because that's like the worst thing I can imagine. Surely this will finally please God. <laughs> and so I became a pastor, and what happened was I became kind of an angry pastor. I would say, looking back, many, if not most, weekends, my sermons amounted to what I call the bad dog sermon, where the pastor stands up and he says to the congregation, bad dog, bad dog, Bad, bad dog. <laughs> and the congregation leaves with their tails between their legs, kind of like vowing to do better next week. Why did I preach like that? I was angry at my church. It wasn't growing fast enough. It wasn't winning enough people to Christ. It wasn't growing. And so I felt like God was not showing his favor to me. Certainly, I wasn't feeling the pleasure of God. And so I preached these angry, convicting sermons to get these people off their butts so that they would do more, so that God would finally approve of me. I'm not alone. A lot of pastors are there. The application for every single message, it was a message on prayer, you're not praying enough, bad dog. It was a message on service, you're not serving enough, 
bad, bad dog. It was a message on the Bible or doing your daily devotions. Are you doing that? No, bad dog. (laughs) And you know what I noticed? People tend to equate conviction with depth. Wow, I feel super beat up by this guy. He must be deep. (laughs) They thought I was deep, but really I was just dead. Then one night, literally in one night, my whole outlook changed. It was the crossroads moment in my life, in terms of my adult Christian life. Where I would be today if I hadn't experienced this, I really have no idea. Makes me shudder to think. But I was up late, reading in bed. My wife had been asleep for a long time next to me. I was about to start a series on the book of Galatians at church, a verse-by-verse series. going to take a year to go through Galatians verse-by-verse. So I was preparing for that series, working harder, even in bed. I was not resting, you know? Why go to sleep if you don't have to? God wants you to work. So I was reading, studying, working. And I read words that just went off like dynamite in my soul and led to, slowly, the seed flowering again. Started with this, chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm just going to walk through the book of Galatians with you and tell you what happened to me that night. Paul says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the what? Grace of Christ. So I'm like, hmm. God calls us to live in the grace of Christ, not just get saved by the grace of Christ. Hmm. And are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, because gospel means good news, right? He's saying, yeah, these teachers, these false teachers, i got to warn you about these guys, because their teaching is not good news. It's bad news, because it's just all about how you have to keep earning God's approval. I thought, that's interesting. So I kept reading. And Galatians 3.3 is where I started crying. Paul says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit... Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And all of a sudden, in this moment, I realized I'm the guy that Paul is warning the Galatians against. The bad dog pastors who are teaching a different gospel, starting with the Spirit, but then trying to attain the goal of Christ-likeness in human effort. This is precisely the false gospel taught, maybe unintentionally, at so many churches in this country. I know one pastor who speaks at a lot of different churches, and he says he always asks, hey, can I take some time, uh, maybe during the worship or between services, to kind of walk around and see what you're doing with the children's classes? Because he says, that shows me the DNA of the church. And he says, sad thing is, almost every single church, the message in Sunday school can be boiled down to this, be a better boy or be a better girl. He says, rarely have I heard the gospel preached, except for in a salvation message, of course, but it's just this, accept Jesus, okay, now try harder for the rest of your life. And I suddenly realized that had been my whole message. I was beginning with the spirit, like, hey, people accept Jesus, right? And then I exhort people to attain your goal by human effort. Accept Jesus. Okay, that's done. Now be a better boy, be a better girl. Be a better husband, be a better worker for Jesus. And my own spiritual life had the same trajectory. I got saved, but my focus was now entirely on what I was doing on my own human effort, on my sin, and on trying not to do that sin, that sin, and that sin, and trying harder to do the right thing. I'm like, this, this, I'm living this verse. 
And now I'm flipping the pages of Galatians because it's like a suspense novel. It's a thriller. It's like Paul speaking to me from 2,000 years ago. And Paul says to me, like looking at me right in the eye, Renee, what has happened to all your joy? And I'm talking back like, I don't know what happened to it. And I realized I had been substituting things for joy. And that in my church, when I looked around, I saw nothing but people like me, busy Christians who substitute activity for joy, or dry Christians who substitute knowledge for joy. Always walking around with their Bible like it's a textbook, like if I know more verses, then somehow that makes me closer to God. Or grim Christians who substitute a feeling of conviction for real joy. And as I implied earlier, those are the worst. Constantly under a cloud of conviction, they go to church to get beat up and they like it because if they're feeling condemned, at least they're feeling something. And these three types often become pastors. And they become busy pastors who cram their church with activity just because if I'm doing more stuff, then God might bless me. Or dry academic pastors that's all about, like, I just got to, like, preach this like it's a text because I think if I learn more, something's going to change. Or convicting pastors who are just preaching the bad dog sermons all the time. Now, these are the ones who stay in church. On the other hand, many people don't put up with this. They just leave the church, sometimes very quietly. They slip out the back door, burned out, and they really believe it when they say, I tried it and it didn't work. They're totally right. They tried it, performance-oriented religion, and it did not work because it never does work. And then I got to the key verse that really unlocked it all for me. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. I never would have said I'm trying to be justified by law. I knew, I knew the, you know, the, oh, you can't be saved by works, you're saved by, by grace. But essentially, after that initial sinner's prayer, I was just living life like any other performance-oriented religious by works person. And I realized with a shock, something I never saw before, the phrase, fallen from grace. I had always used it heard to describe a sinner, right? But here, it's used to describe people who got ultra-religious. They've fallen from grace. I've fallen away from a simple focus on grace. And I think so many Christians do. We fall into what in Latin is called a quid pro quo relationship with God. Basically, that means if I do this, then I get that. If I pray just right, then my life is going to go better. If I witness more, then he's going to like me more. God will. If I go into the ministry, then God's going to bless me for sure. Quid pro quo. I sacrifice this in order to get that. And that's totally a pagan form of religion, right? I go to the temple, make these sacrifices to get this outcome from the gods. And intellectually, we know that's not what the Bible teaches, but we fall back into it so easily. It's kind of our natural bent. Even as children, I was reading a book called Children's Letters to God. Have you ever read this? Great book. They have all kinds of actual letters to God that kids wrote in Sunday school. It's, there's so much good stuff. But one of the kids writes, Dear God, I wrote you before. Do you remember? Well, I did what I promised, but you did not send me the horse yet. <laughs> what about it? 
That is a classic quid pro quo relationship. And I realized so many of my prayers had, to God had been, God, God, I did what I promised. What about it? Now, in contrast to this, here's another one. Dear God, count me in. Your friend, Herbie. <laughs> That's grace. But that subtle shift from this to a quid pro quo relationship, I did what I promised, what about it? That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians when he says you have fallen from grace to a focus on your own behavior. So how do you escape that? By focusing not on what you do, but on what God has done for you. Like back in Galatians, Paul pleads with the Galatian Christians. He says, remember, you're no longer a servant, but a son. And I realized in my heart, I didn't feel like that. I didn't feel like this, like a son or a grandson that a dad or a granddad was delighting in. And who was just, look at the security on those faces. The delight on those faces. There's no fear there. Well, my soul did not look like this. I was like a servant trying desperately to please a harsh master. What about you? Are you living like a servant or like a son? And I use son because it's in the text, but understand this applies across gender, obviously. A servant is worried about pleasing his master. A servant is always insecure in his work. A servant never knows if it's good enough. A son is relaxed in the love of his father. You know, I urge you, if you haven't yet, pick up Steve's book, This Inspirational Life. Um, I mean, I'm getting no commission from this plug. It's just super good. I've already read about half of it. It's fantastic. But in his book, Steve writes about how he was legally adopted at one point in his life. But I love the way he talks about this. He says, at bedtime for many years to come after that court date, my new dad would tuck me in and tell me, all the other parents were given children, but I got to choose, and I chose you. And the cross is God's declaration, I choose you. The one true God wraps you up in his arms and declares that you are worth loving, you are good and valuable and have a beautiful purpose on this planet. This God sets you apart. This God makes you blameless in his sight. This God in great love adopted you into his family. You are not God's indentured servant. You are God's adopted child. Well, then I got to Galatians 5, where Paul says, here's how you know whether or not you, you get this in your life and, and, and your influence. He says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the, 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 the ripple effects of living like this aren't just knowledge or activity or grimness and conviction. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace and patience, and kindness. He's not saying, try hard to be more loving so you get approval from God. He's saying the way you know you're centered on grace is that this is growing in your life and in your ministry. So I'm reading, this is all happening in like 20 minutes as I'm reading through the book of Galatians. And suddenly I see that the fruit what had been produced in me and what had often been produced in my church was tension, fear, a fear of failure, 
envy, coveting, selfish ambition, quarreling, all the works of the flesh that Paul talks about right before this. Not joy and peace. Tension. And so I thought, oh man, I, God, how do I change? You know, without like falling back into the same performance trap. And it's interesting, Paul doesn't say, you Galatians, here's how to go back to grace. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Because that would have just been, become another performance-oriented checklist for them. And so he says it poetically. He says, since we live by the Spirit, we've gotten our new birth by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. We don't grow by trying harder to please God. We just keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? The best way I've ever heard this explained was this. Have you ever been somewhere and suddenly you started hearing some music? Like that. Isn't that a good song? And maybe it makes you start to move and you start tapping your toes and you start snapping your fingers. And maybe even start clapping and you get a smile on your face. I'm not even a dancer and I cannot stop moving to this song, whatever our worship team plays. Now, imagine a guy walks in and sees me doing this, but he can't hear the music. He can't hear a thing. And he looks at me and thinks, well, that guy seems happy, and I'd like to be happier. And he thinks the things that guy is doing must be making him happy. And so he starts to imitate me. He goes, okay, snap fingers, tap toes, clap. But after like 20 minutes of this, he thinks, man, this isn't doing a thing for me. This is all rote. This is, this is boring. And eventually he stops dancing and he thinks dancing is, is stupid because he can't hear the music. The music that moves me. Okay, stop. <laughs> but do you get, this is exactly what happens to a ton of people with the Christian faith. People, and I was in this camp, people see real devout Christians while well, they're reading the Bible and they're going to church, they're praying, they're singing, they're serving, they're going on mission trips, and they think those are the steps to this Christian dance. And so the people watching them start doing all that stuff too, all the dance steps, pray, read the Bible, do the daily devotions, go on a mission trip, and all that's great stuff, but that stuff is not the key to the Christian life. The key is hearing the music. And if you don't hear the music, eventually it just gets dry and rote and meaningless. It's hearing the music that naturally changes the way I walk and keep in step with the Spirit. What's the music? The gospel of grace. God loved the world so much, including you that he gave his one and only son, the most precious thing in the universe. This is how much you matter to God. So that anyone, 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 anyone who simply believes, not tries hard to work, earn God's favor, but just believes in that gift shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And that just doesn't mean just a quantity of life. That means quality, everlasting, abundant, beautiful life. It's just all just a gift. And the most important thing you can do for your spiritual life is just keep playing the music. 
Keep preaching that gospel to yourself because it's the music that changes your behavior. It's the music that gets you to move in the right direction. Well, that night I read these verses and I started to hear the music again. And I actually woke up my wife who was sleeping soundly next to me. I said, Laurie, 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 wake up. Listen to this. And I started reading her these verses from Galatians and I told her this. I said, I feel like I'm born again, again. I said, I feel like I've been living for the last 15 years of my life just seeing everything in black and white. And now I'm seeing things in living color again. And suddenly what happened from from that night on, I went to sleep in peace and I woke up and I started walking around our neighborhood. And in every moment of every day, I started to see God's grace, God's grace, grace, grace all around me. I thought every breath I breathe, that's a gift of God's grace. Because I did nothing to earn being alive. So every single beat of my heart is a complete, total gift of God's grace to me. And I thought, how inconceivably against the odds is it for this planet to have any form of life on it, right, at a cosmic scale. So every leaf on every tree, every drop of water, it's all a pure gift of grace. We're just surrounded by God's just lavish Grace, 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 grace all around us. And I started to see every face, every person as an object of grace. And suddenly I began seeing on on every page of the Bible, it says grace, 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 grace. How could I have missed it for so many years? If I had time, I would show you hundreds, but you have to understand, I missed it. And I was a pastor. And it was all about, are you a bad dog or a good dog? And so I know it is so possible for us to miss it too. And suddenly I saw all over the Bible, it's not about trying harder to be better. It's about hearing the music. This is my prayer for you. I I could show you hundreds of other verses where I started noticing God's grace, but I'm going to close with this one. My prayer for you from Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Paul prays this for the Ephesian church. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, right? You came to Christ because you realized he loved you. Now here's how you grow. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, you think about this. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus that he loved so much. What do you, what do you pray for the people in, in your church? You know, I tend to pray that my church will grow. I tend to pray that more people would be volunteers. I pray that people would do good stewardship, right? So we can pay the bills. But that's not what Paul prays for here. He prays for one thing, the most important thing, that they would be filled up overwhelmed with God's love for them because that's the music and everything else will follow naturally. You'll want to read the Bible just to learn more about this God who loves you. You'll want to serve because you just long to spread that love to other people. You'll want to be creative in God's service because you just want people to know about this. So this is what I pray for you. 
I pray that you will hear the music. I pray that you will be awestruck by his love. I will pray that there will be moments in the year to come before we see each other again at Mount Hermon where you're reading the Bible or you're singing in worship in church and, and all of a sudden you can't even see the words on the page or the screen anymore because you're just in tears over God's love for you. And maybe even there's moments when you're driving down the street and you have to pull over because you can't even drive anymore because you're so overwhelmed with the idea that the one who created all this loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. I pray that you will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that you would be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Because everything else follows from that. Everything follows. You know, one of the places where I learned the most about hearing the music is the Johnny and Friends family camp. That's a regular family camp just like this with crafts and games and activities, but it's only for families who have at least one person in the family with a disability. And it happens just down the street at Mission Springs. And I've told some of you this story before, but it was a pivotal moment in my life. One of the young women there when I was speaking younger was a, was a woman named Terry, maybe 22, 23 years old. And Terry, here in this moment, 22, 23, when many young women are coming into blossom as young adults, she had been stricken with severe cerebral palsy. Her arms and her legs shook so badly with her palsy that they had to be strapped down to her wheelchair except for one arm that she had just a bit of control over. When Terry spoke, you could barely understand her because of the effects of the disease. And I'm not trying to mock her, but just so that you can understand the rest of the story. For example, you'd say good morning to Terry, and she'd respond with good morning, Renee. You know, like that, that cerebral palsy accent. But she became adored by all of us, because she just radiated God's love. Terry took it upon herself to station herself at the door to the dining hall before every meal so that she could be kind of the unofficial greeter of camp. Nobody told her to do that. But every single person who walked in, she would greet them by name, and by the second day, she knew everybody's name by heart. And then she started just adding on things, like, good morning, Mike, you have a beautiful name. Good morning, Priscilla, that's a nice cap. And she had a great sense of humor, too, because she, <laughs> she said, one, on Wednesday, she said, Good morning, Renee, you have a girl's name. So I loved Terry. <laughs> well, on the last night of the camp, they had a talent show. And most of it was very cute. Uh, but I have to admit, my heart sank when the MC said, and our last act tonight will be Terry. And I thought, oh, what can she possibly do to, you know, perform for us? This is how shallow I was. And the MC says, and Terry's talent will be Terry is going to lead us in worship. And that's when I thought, oh, this is going to be very awkward. God bless her, but I'll just kind of applaud politely just to encourage her at the end. So they wheel up her chair. They put a boom mic in front of her, and she throws back her head, and she shouts to the sound guy, hit it, Ben! <laughs> and Ben turns on a track to a worship song, and it's the track to the old Gaither song, God is So Good to Me. Do you remember that song? God is so good. God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. 
And I think, as I'm recognizing this song as it starts, I think, are you kidding me? Of all the songs that Terry could have chosen, you know, she could have chosen, like, blessed be your name, you know, when the world's marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. But Terry, in her circumstance, chooses to sing, God is so good to me. Well, she lifts up her one good arm and, and tilts her head to heaven and tears are just starting to pour down her face. And she just starts singing at the top of her lungs, God, so good. God, so good. And instantly, every single person in that room who could stand, stands. And those who can't stand are lifting their hands, and those who can't even lift their hands, they're just, their head is just thrown back, and tears of joy are just streaming down every face. And I look up and down my aisle, and there's tears of joy down the faces of my able-bodied and not able-bodied brothers and sisters in Christ, my developmentally disabled brothers and sisters in Christ, my Downs brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are all transported into worship, into the presence of God. I have never experienced a worship experience quite like that when we were just rocketed like to the throne room of God like on, on note one. What happened there? Terry showed us all what it looks like to hear the music. Terry changed my life and by any outward appearances, Terry doesn't have a lot of ability but Terry hears the music. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to ask God to fill you like that this morning. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about asking God for emotion. I'm talking about focus, about a, focusing your soul on God's grace, hearing the music, because that will naturally produce in time a joy and a peace and a love deep within you, that dormant seed can be revived again. In just a minute, we're going to close with a song, and we're going to give you an opportunity. And we like to do this at least once during camp. And during this song, you can come forward and just kneel right here at the altar and pray. I found that the physical motion cements this moment in your mind, you might want to come forward and say, God, I have grown cold or dead or dry. I remember the little seed inside of me, but it's in permafrost right now. Revive it. Maybe you want to come up for prayer and just kneel alone at the altar. Or maybe for the very first time in your life, you want to come forward and say, God, I think for the first time in my life, I finally get this whole Christianity thing. It's not about religion. It's about being showered by your grace, being abandoned to your love. If you are hearing his voice today like I did that night, I read Galatians. Come on up and pray. You know, a few years ago, I was the evening speaker, and Mike Romberger was speaking in the mornings, and he closed his message with an altar call, and I was in the back outside listening. Remember, I was one of the speakers that week, and there was something I was dealing with in my life that I really needed to give to the Lord, and I kind of wanted to come forward, but I thought, I'm the morning speaker. If I go forward, people will see me, and they'll think, what, was our speaker even a Christian, you know? <laughs> but finally, I just went, I just kneeled it was right here. I kneeled right here, and I prayed, and I experienced just a shift in my life. And 
After a couple of minutes, I went back to my seat, but that area of my life now, years later, that moment is still making a huge difference for me. God wants to bring your seed back into full bloom. Will you let him today? Let's pray. Would you bow your head with me? Let's just come to the Lord. Lord, revive us. Open our eyes so we can see how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ. And so we can see all around us in your world, in your word, your works of grace lavished upon us. May we be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And maybe some for the very first time just want to pray, Jesus, I come to you. I've been resisting you, but today I receive you into my heart. I receive your grace into my life. Amen.